You are listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. Let's give a warm welcome to Bobby. He's uh, one of our missions pastors. He has probably the biggest heart I know of in, in any individual for local ministry and outreach. And so, everyone, Bobby Nicholas. Okay, hello. How are you guys doing? Good. Okay, before I dive into exactly what I want to say today, uh, I just I want to sidetrack a little bit because I was thinking about this. Why are we here and why are you sitting here listening to me? And so there's this passage in, in Revelations 4 that talks about these creatures on the throne of God with eyes all over their body and wings. And, and they're perceiving all these things from God because they have eyes. They're taking in everything. And all they can say from age to age to age is, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And so I want to preface with remembering that the reason we're here, the reason we care about missions and local missions, at least most of us in this room, is because God is real. And we've had this encounter that changes us and makes us to stand in his presence and say, holy moly, that's God, and he's real. So I wanted, I wanted to just preface with that. Um, my name is Bobby. I grew up here in the Springs, went to school in Boulder, and I'm currently working on a thesis in philosophy. I, uh, I did some studying with YWAM in New Zealand, and um, I want to just introduce you to my wife. She's the one on the right. They're just kidding. She's in the middle. Uh, her name is Brooke, and Brooke has been with me through this journey in the last 10 years or so that I've been learning about this passion for local ministries. When I was in high school, I started, I started reading the Bible. And my friends were going one way, and I was going another way, and I had to sort of choose, you know, which lifestyle I was going to live. And, and it got kind of lonely, because I wasn't really choosing the lifestyle my friends were living. And so I started reading the Bible, and these words just were coming off the page. And I remember uh, being in my bedroom in the evening, just weeping, because the scriptures were becoming alive to me. And I would read from 10 o'clock at night, late into the morning. And this went on for months and months, and this was what began my passion for local ministries because I had this encounter with the Holy Spirit and with God that, that led me to begin to love people. And I had a lot of figuring out what that looked like to do, like we all do. So that's, that's a little bit about Brooke and myself. We're always learning and figuring out how to love people around us and always failing and succeeding and, and learning and growing. We currently live with Joe and Erica Kirkendall in Manitou Springs, which is a good place to do that. So that's Brooke. Um, a little bit else about me, I just love adventure. So this is a mountain called Vestal Peak. It's a 13er. You kind of see less people on 13ers than 14ers, so that's fun. Uh, I love adventure. I love ice climbing, and um, I just love being outside. One of the most significant experiences in my life that has helped to shape the heart that I have for people around me is New Orleans. And when I was in high school, we went on some mission trips, which is great, we're talking about missions this month. We went on some mission trips to New Orleans to do relief for the Katrina hurricane. So we were tearing out walls, and we had cockroaches falling on our faces and all of these things. It was mostly labor when we first go there, and we kept going year after year and committed to the city. I think we went seven or eight years in a row. And uh, after a while, we started expanding the ministry opportunities we were doing to at-risk youth and underprivileged children and sorting food at a food bank. And we started walking around the downtown area in New Orleans and talking to homeless people. 
And before this experience in New Orleans, I was one of those people who was kind of like, street evangelism is not, not really my thing. Um, that's great. Not a lot of long-term investment there, so I'm, I'm not, it's not really my thing. You guys can do what you want to do. But in New Orleans, something happened, and God began to teach me how to hear and obey his voice. And so we started doing street evangelism in, in New Orleans. And I want to just tell one story. This is a guy named Mac. My wife is there next to me. Uh, Mac had a friend named Sean. And Sean, when I met Sean, I was walking by and he said, hey, can you give me some change? And uh, I really appreciate honesty. And so I said, hey, Sean, yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't know his name at the time, but I said, well, what, what do you need change for? And he said, well, I want to buy a beer, so I need some change. And I said, oh, man, thank you for being honest. I, of course I'm not going to give you money to buy a beer. But I appreciate that, Sean. Tell me a little bit more about what you're, what you're doing and why you're here. And Sean and I begin to have this dialogue, and I learned he was a lot like one of my friends who uh, was becoming less and less my close friend. And Growing up, we were just so close. And as I began to choose this path that was a little bit more centered and focused on Christ, my friends started delving into these other things, uh, alcohol and things that begin to distance him from me and maybe from the Lord, I don't know. So I began to see that Sean was really similar to my friend. And throughout that week, my heart just broke for Sean. And I would sit and talk with him for hours during the day because I, I had the privilege to be able to break out of my normal routine of life and be in New Orleans. And I could just sit and talk with Sean. And we began to process what life looked like and some of the wounds and hurts from his parents. And what I did for the week was listen. I just listened to him. And I asked questions and listened. And all of these insecurities and fears and doubts that he had about himself and about God and about his dad came up. And by the end of the week, Sean, with the help of Mac, who is pictured here, had detoxed himself from alcohol using orange juice. Which, if you know anything about alcohol detox, it's, it's pretty hard. Uh, it's, it's a pretty rough process. And so Mac had helped him through the night. Sean was drinking like 30 beers before noon before this. And so by the end of the week, he was shaking and um, detoxing. And he checked himself into an alcohol rehab center. And Sean now is living in California. He's a chef. He moved in with his parents for a while. And now he's, he's doing what he's, he's doing. He's getting back on his feet. So there are millions of stories I can tell you from New Orleans, but this is the place where God really started to show me there are complex issues in our world for homeless. There are complex issues for orphans and foster and for our parents and brothers and sisters. These are complex things, but the love of Christ is what does the transforming and the molding and the growing. So I, I have to mention New Orleans. Okay, the first week Matthew Ayers spoke a little bit and he was asking this question, what is missions? We talked about the Great Commission and we talked about God as Father how we're called to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Matthew mentioned the Abrahamic covenant, this call that we have as Christians. We're blessed to be a blessing to others, particularly Israel. They were blessed and chosen by God so that through them, the manifest presence of the kingdom and fullness of God could be presented to and go out to other people. Even in the Old Testament, this is very clear that Israel is to be a blessing to other nations. So when we think about mission, I think about the general call for the church, which is to be the vehicle by which the kingdom is proclaimed. We're the bride of Christ. And so as that, our mission as the bride is to let the kingdom and presence and glory of God flow through us to other people. That is our overall mission. So when we understand missions, we can at least talk about that. 
So we do these things called mission trips. And I'm a huge fan of mission trips. I was actually on a mission trip last weekend with uh, Joe Kirkendall and Arnie and Afa are here, some other people from, the, from New Life and The Mill. We met up with some people in Guatemala from uh, Texas, down by Gateway. And we did this mission trip, and it was beautiful and great and fun because I didn't have to think about how my taxes are coming up. They're due here soon. And uh, I didn't have to think about my thesis that whole week. That was great. And all these things, I got to kind of step away from the normal routine of life. And I had 12 hours a day or 15 hours a day to just think about obeying God and loving Him and loving other people. It was great. I had freedom to just listen and and obey, and I I didn't have to rush to the next place. So I love mission trips because they paint a picture of what life could look like if we were really just focused on God. And mission trips do something really cool. They they sort of foster this community and a hyperactive Christian community. You come back from a mission trip with someone, and they're your best friend, and it was only a week. It's just great what God does on mission trips. This is this is one trip that I was in Burma, and uh, really beautiful picture. This woman was on the street. She had a child, and she was begging. And we just ended up listening to her story. And through a translator, we had a meal with her, and we ended up praying for her. So I'm a huge, huge fan of mission trips because they help us to see what is possible with God and with other believers who are focused on our mission as Christians, to live and proclaim the kingdom of God. But then I started thinking about local ministry and what that means here, because for those of us, raise your hand if you've been on a mission trip before. Great. So a fair percentage of us. We've been on a mission trip, and then we come back, and there's this struggle we have. Like, oh man, I was so obedient. And I just saw God move, and... Now I have to go back to work, and uh, it's difficult to reconcile this experience we have with God with our regular, everyday life. So in your tables, I want you to talk together and come up with a story or an answer to this. When was a time that you witnessed or took part in local missions? We're not talking about global or even United States domestic. We're talking about local missions in your town, in your city. When was a time that you witnessed or took part in local missions? So I'll give you a couple minutes to discuss, and then I'm going to ask a few of you to share. I want to hear from some of you guys out here, just just to get a gauge on how uh, we interpret local ministries. So I'm going to walk around with this mic, and I'm just going to hold it as you speak into it. And... uh, don't, don't be offended if I cut you off, okay? So the question is, when was the time that you witnessed or took part in local missions, local ministry? Raise your hand if you would like to share. Someone like to share a small story? Think 10 seconds. I know someone wants to share. There we go, Bill. A couple of friends and I, we got to play the game treasure hunting during St. Patrick's Day downtown. Okay, and so what is treasure hunting? Where you listen to the Holy Spirit, and He tells you possibly who to look for, what to say, and then uh, you just say whatever He says to the person that He says to say it to. Great, that's cool. I like that treasure hunting. There's one over here. Who wanted to share? Yeah. I have been volunteering in English classes for refugees, and earlier this week the lesson was on signs. 
And as I was working with stop signs, don't walk, I just really sensed the Holy Spirit saying, let these people see signs of me, the wonders of me, and helping them learn word. It's like, oh God, let them know your word and let them see people doing deeds in in your name. That's good. Thank you for sharing that. Yes. Um, back when I was in middle school, um, our church decided to go help out the women's shelter downtown, and we packed needs that they needed to be healthy and to be able to prosper as single moms and young um, homeless women. So that was cool. Great. I like it. Let's hear one more. Yeah. We, uh, we used to walk around back in the church in Massachusetts, walk around, do all kinds of missions. Um, you know, pray for people, that kind of thing. And one time, one of my friends were walking around, and one of my friends had a vision of a guy with um, uh, some skin disease in a wheelchair. We take a corner, there's a guy in a wheelchair with skin disease. We prayed for him, he got blessed. It was cool. Love that. Thank you guys for sharing. So what I'm hearing you say is a lot of this is uh, listening for God and praying for people and, and walking around. And there was someone, thank you for sharing about mentoring refugees or, or teaching refugees uh, I really like that a lot. I want to explain a little bit how I understand local ministry. And these, these are all great examples that you guys gave. And I appreciate you sharing. It's good to hear the things that everyone is doing. The question is, what is local ministry? And if we go back to the beginning, that Revelations passage, these creatures with eyes, the truth is that something amazing happens when we meet the creator of everything. And, and we become unable to carry on as we once did before. This happened to me in high school. You know, I, be, I became unable to live the same life, and I started evangelizing and really brash, actually. It was, um, I had to learn. And local ministry, how I understand local ministry, is the simple, simple statement of loving people. Because we carry with us the Holy Spirit, and we can receive visions from God and see the same person as we walk around the corner. We have the Holy Spirit in us. So as we engage in local ministry... What we're doing is taking part in our greater mission as the church, as the bride of Christ. The greater mission of living and proclaiming the kingdom of God. And we're stepping into that calling by loving people. Ministry is what happens when we live day to day in our mission to live and proclaim the kingdom of God. So essentially, local ministry is an outward reflection of what's going on in our hearts. In our hearts with God. And it's very important that we have this initial encounter with the Holy Spirit, and I don't, I'm not talking about a one-time event where you're blown away. What I'm talking about more is that ministry and missions starts in relationship with Christ. We have to know Christ, and we have to understand ourselves in relation to Him, so that we can go into the world baptizing and making disciples in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So I want to look really quick at Luke chapter 10, because it's really neat these three different stories that we see in Luke chapter 10. And I love the way Luke organizes this. First, we see Jesus send out 72 missionaries, really. He sends them out, and he tells them to tell the people that they heal, tell the people that have demons driven out, driven out of them, to tell them that the kingdom of God has come near to you. Tell them, go and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. 
And really, he was sending these 72 out to prepare the way for the places that Jesus was yet to visit. So you can see these 72 missionaries partaking in this greater call that we, as the bride of Christ, to live and proclaim the kingdom of God. The kingdom has come near to you. Right after this story, we see the parable of the Good Samaritan, which we could talk probably the rest of the time about that because it's a great depiction of what local ministry looked like. But I love the parable of the Good Samaritan because you see someone who is not on a mission trip. He's on a regular daily routine. He's on a road, and of course you know the story. The Levite passes by, and the priest passes by, and the Samaritan sees this man who's been bruised and hurt, and he's on the side of the road, and he stops to help him and to mend his wounds. And what is great about this is the Good Samaritan allows an interruption in his own life and his own schedule. When we go on global mission trips, we're interrupting the regular routine of our life. We're choosing to put work and family a lot of times, and all these things on hold in our life for the sake of obeying this calling that God has called us to Guatemala or called us to Africa. And we have an interruption in our regular routine in our our regular lives. The Good Samaritan is doing this, but in regular life. So he's walking, he's moving, he sees this person, he reaches out to him, he carries him, he puts him on his mule, he takes him to an inn, and this is just great, because he kind of says, I don't have time really to help you, I'll be right back, I've got to go to work or wherever he's going. He leaves him at the inn with enough money to get him by the next couple of days and then says, I'll pay the remainder. Now, the reason I think this is so neat is sometimes, um, and this was definitely me in high school, I was thinking like, I don't need to go to college. I can just love people and obey God and it's going to be great. Which uh, maybe some of us can identify with that. A lot of the folks with Global are laughing inside right now because we know that's not a mature understanding of how we're to live and act as Christians. So the Good Samaritan, he doesn't forsake his responsibilities to get to where he's going. He doesn't um, necessarily break out of life for longer than a couple of minutes or hours. We don't really know. And he continues to do what he does. He's still living the life of responsibility and duty. He's just caring for this person. And the point I want to make with the Good Samaritan is that he allows an interruption into his schedule. And then right after this, story, we see the story of Mary and Martha, which just drives home the point of coming first to Christ and then out to the world. That local ministry and loving people, local missions, is an outward reflection of our inward relationship with Christ. It says that Mary was sitting at the Lord's feet listening, and Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And then Jesus says to Martha, You're worried and upset about so many things, but there are few things that are needed. In fact, there's only one. This is what Jesus says. And he's referring, of course, to Mary, who's sitting at the Lord's feet, listening to her. If at the end of this morning, we can at least think about one thing, it's that as we draw close to the heart of God, something happens and we begin to love other people. And so if there's one thing that you take away today, I want it to be that local missions, global missions, evangelism, prophecy, ministry, it starts with being in relationship with Christ. And as we receive love from Christ, as we understand through revelation the scriptures, and as we're in communion with the church and the local congregation, we're interacting with the person of Jesus Christ. Out of that flows this thing that is local missions and local ministry. 
And he uses these examples of the 72, the Good Samaritan, and just drives it home at the end. There's really actually only one thing that is needed, and that's to sit at the feet of Christ. And naturally out of that will come these other things. So a good question is, what are we supposed to do now? Uh, We're here in Colorado Springs, and we live in homes, and we have jobs and school. Uh, My wife is working and in school full-time, so she's got all sorts of stuff. What are we supposed to do? There's this this term I like to use called psychotic inertia. And one of my friends coins this term. It's called psychotic inertia. And it's where we get in this kind of inertia in our mind where we start flowing in a direction and we're waiting. You know, I'm just waiting on the Lord for him to tell me where I want to go. And right now I'm just, I'm waiting. And it's going to be good when he tells me because I'm I'm waiting on the Lord. And we start to see signs and symbols of things of maybe, maybe they are God speaking and maybe they're just things in the world that are happening. Um, Matthew spoke a little bit on this in the first week as well. He showed that video of stuff that Christian girls say, if you guys remember that. And they were drawing all these conclusions from really bizarre things, you know, like, oh, it's windy today. Well, you know what that means. God's coming back or whatever it is. This psychotic inertia that we trick ourselves into. And we ask this question, what am I supposed to do? God, I love people. I want to I minister and I want to be a missionary. And what am I supposed to do? We remember that it starts with an understanding of who Christ is. And I want to suggest that we have a very clear understanding of what we are supposed to do. The Old Testament gives uh, this whole history and prophecies and, and music. All of these things are pointing to what God is doing through Israel and through the people of God. The story he's telling of a people chosen to be a blessing so that God and his kingdom might come through them to the world. And so there's these laws and commandments, and we find out that the commandments are kind of weird sometimes, uh, practical sometimes. There are all these commandments. And then the New Testament comes, and Jesus comes, and people are asking him all these questions. And these three scriptures, you can look them up later if you want. I'm not going to read them, but they all refer to this point that when we ask the question, what am I supposed to do? The clear answer and the clear fulfillment of the law is to love people. Jesus says over and over, the fulfillment of the law is to love your neighbor. And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It starts with the understanding of loving God, and then flows and moves into our labor. So these scriptures say, these three, please look them up later if if you want to. It's driving home the point, what am I supposed to do? And God says, love people. Love people. Love people. I know you want to be a missionary. I know you want to be a professor. I know you want to be an engineer. And in the meantime, love people, love people, love people, rather than this psychotic inertia. And what's amazing to me is when I try to engage in local ministry or maybe I'll help out with a program with mentoring refugees or with foster children or homeless, or I'll just be walking downtown or at my home or with my wife, if I have this mentality of, okay, Lord, I hear and I know what you have commanded me, and that is to love people, it's really amazing what happens if I have that intentionality in my mind and my heart to be looking for opportunities to love people and to be listening and obedient to the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to go into something really quick. This is more of the teaching part. This is why we're here at Mill Sunday School. It's a teaching service. So I want to just throw out some ideas about answering this question, why we do local ministry. And there's three basic reasons that I want to propose. They're worded in my own language, so they're pretty simple to understand and remember. The first reason we just talked about, and it's because God says so. If we believe God is the one true Lord, the creator of everything, 
then when he commands us to do something, it's probably a good idea to do them. We find out these things in the Old Testament, you know, don't, uh, don't eat or drink blood. Well, there's some good reasons for that, actually. Blood is really bad for you. <laughs> and so we know that God says these things for really good reasons. And when we say God says so, it actually goes so much deeper than that. It goes so much deeper than strict obedience, like a master-slave relationship. It, it comes into this father relationship, just like we obey our father. Even if we don't understand, hopefully we obey our fathers. Even if we don't understand, we say, I, I trust you, you know? You know, I trust you. And so we see in the New Testament this single command, all the commands can be summed up in this, to love your neighbor. Why is God asking us to do this? And of course we know it's for the reasons that come when we live and proclaim the kingdom of God. Freedom from sin. Life to the fullest. John uh, John 10.10 10 says, I come that you might have life to the fullest. What does that look like? It's that passion-filled life where there's ebbs and flows and ups and downs and we have to hold on to hope in the future and cool things that happened in the past and this time in the meantime, what are we doing? We're loving people. And this is life to the fullest. So God says so. That's the first reason, to look after orphans and widows, to love your neighbor. The second reason, we've talked about a little bit as well, and it's when we meet God, we start loving people. It's amazing. I don't know if this is consistent with any of your stories, but um, there's stories of miracles and healings. And one story, my friend tells me of this, this person who was homeless. They're talking, and he prays for him, and all of this really interesting supernatural stuff happens. And then the man just walks away praising God and, and singing worship songs. And it's like, wow, that was kind of fascinating what just happened. He, he prayed, and we prayed, and then... He started praising God. And so this notion of it just happens means that as we come close to the heart of Christ, we begin to love other people. And I want to suggest uh, just very gently that if we're not engaging in local ministry, and remember, local ministry is loving people. Specifically, it's loving the people that God has put around you. Your neighbors, your family, your schoolmates, your coworkers. If we're not loving them, then it might be the case that there's some room for us to get closer to the heart of God. Because as we come close to the heart of God, ministry, loving people naturally happens. So, chew on that a little bit. And then the last reason that I want to highlight just really quick is that it's essential. You know, we have, we have these revelations and it seems like it's easy in anything you do, snowboarding, uh, mathematics, whatever it is, there's, it's easy to get really good at something really fast and then hit this plateau where it's really hard to get a lot better and you have to be really disciplined and the top tier athletes are the ones who really push through that. And I think local ministry is essential because it draws us closer to the heart of God. It's kind of like this self-fulfilling circle where as we meet Christ, we start to love other people. And then when we love other people, we start to meet Christ. This general call as the church to live and proclaim the kingdom of God, to love the people around us. We have to allow our schedules to be interrupted. And that requires a little bit of intentionality on our part. Um, I live in a part of town where I, I pass a lot of homeless people and driving or walking. And so something I can do better is uh, like leave 10 minutes early so I have some space to talk to some of these guys. Of course, their issues are far greater than that can be solved in one conversation. But we carry the good news. We need to remember, we carry the good news. 
And it's so amazing, the power of listening and seeing someone at their level. Something I like to do is to ask this question of people, hey, what, what is your story? I was walking downtown, I was meeting some friends a couple days ago, this was I think last Tuesday, and um, there were some men asking for money, so I, of course I said no, uh, because that's not always the right answer, sometimes it is, and I just, I sat down next to them, they were sitting on the curb, and so I kind of sat, and they were right here, and I sat right on the curb right next to them. And that's always really shocking to these individuals, because they're looking at each other like, wait a sec, you're, you're wearing um, nice clothes, and now you're one of us. And I sat down, and this took five minutes for me to listen. Why are you here? Why don't you have a job? Or where, where'd you grow up? And at the end of that, I can just say, hey, can I, can I pray for you guys real quick? I'm a Christian, and I've got to go meet someone. But I just, it's really true about Jesus, what people say. Is it okay if I pray for you? And so I got a chance to pray for them. And that's a slight interruption, building in these little spaces where that thing can happen. So a point that is very important to make is Loving people doesn't always look the same. Okay? We had some examples of local ministry that are praying for people, and I just gave one of praying for people and listening, but it doesn't always look the same, and this is why it's essential for us to be in communion with the Holy Spirit. And to so I love rock climbing. And um, in the winter, it's pretty cold out, and so I like to go in the gym and rock climb. And that's such an amazing environment to love people. The rock climbing gym. They, there's people who are just needing someone to belay them on a rope, and you start talking, and you, you carry this mentality of, Lord, how can I love people today? And it flows out of me. It doesn't, I don't have to change. My identity is affirmed in Christ. So we're going to do an exercise here, and I'm not quite sure how this is going to go, but here's a story. Uh, you have people at your group, and there's some helpers who are going to some of the middle leaders are going to pass out a piece of paper to your group right now. So here's this story. There's a group of three people. They're rafting down a river. And they're having a good time. They're kind of trying to get away. And down the river a ways is a waterfall. Big waterfall. Imagine whatever you will. We'll say it's a thousand feet. If they go over this waterfall, it will mean certain death. Okay? Your job in your table with your group members is to come up with a strategy or a uh, phrase or a sentence as a way to warn these people about the waterfall that is coming their way. So I'm going to give you a couple minutes to do that, and each of you has a piece of paper that will give you a little bit of guiding instructions. And when I come and ask you, I want you in your group to reenact. This is going to take some boldness. You can stand up. You can do it. I know. Reenact what it would be like for you to shout out or to talk to these rafters to warn them of what's coming. Okay? All right, let's try that. Yeah, you just read it. I don't want to talk about it. 
What time are in? 9.30? Okay, how are we doing on this? How are we doing? Doing alright? Okay, stop where you are, please. I'm gonna just come around, ask some questions. Stop where you are, please. Check, check, check. Okay, here's what we're going to do. There are, um, yeah, I'm just going to ask you in your tables to stand up, and you're going to reenact how you would attempt to warn these rafters about this waterfall approaching. So I'm going to ask for volunteers or tables that are willing to reenact how they would approach this situation. Okay? You guys want to go? Okay. <laughs> okay, very good. <laughs> I I think I would pass you. <laughs> yes. Please. Nice. Okay, very good. Is there someone in the back who wants to... Yes, you guys, please. (laughs) Okay, very, very good. I'll take two more. Okay. I don't know what it is about this area, but I think I would ignore both of you. (laughs) Yes, go ahead. Yep. Okay, good. Good. All right, so this is silly. Obviously, we know this is silly. This isn't actually happening. It's a silly sort of exercise. But the papers that you guys were handed all said something just a little bit different. Some of your papers said that the waterfall was less than 30 seconds away or something like that. And if they weren't warned immediately, they were certainly going to die. Some of you guys got a piece of paper that said the the waterfall is miles away still. You're on a calm stretch of river. It's very serene and tranquil. And these people do not want to be interrupted. But it might be worth warning them just in case they don't know. And then some of you said the waterfall is about five minutes away and they have been distracted by tourists all day long who have been yelling profanities at them and they've been throwing eggs at them and they are just tuned out to anyone yelling anything. So this represents, I'm sure you've figured out, the fact that loving people 
doing the loving thing and saving them from certain death is going to look different all the time in different situations. Some people, it's really important for you to scream and shout. I remember um, sharing the gospel and praying a prayer with my grandfather on the phone as he was dying. And he was on the phone and he, he died shortly thereafter, within the hour or so. And I'd never talked to him about faith before that. The only thing we talked about is he was watching the Pope once on TV and he started crying. That's all we've ever talked about as far as the faith goes. And so I was in a situation where I really, I didn't know where he was at. We weren't in frequent communication. And it was one of those situations where I kind of had to scream and shout in a way. And he wasn't responding. He was not, he could hear and comprehend, but he couldn't talk. So I shared with him the message in sort of a scream and shout kind of way, very direct. There are some friends that I've had for years and years and years who have no desire to think or talk about Christianity or Jesus in any way. And right now I'm just walking alongside with them. I'm entering into their story and we're walking along life together. And I I trust that God is going to capture his heart. I trust God, please, that he will. And then there are also some people where it looks a little bit different somewhere in between that. So this point illustrates that local ministry loving people is never the same. But what is the same is this last point. We as Christians have this command to love people. And there are some other things that the Word talks about, but all of it can be summed up in this command to love your neighbor. And so we go out to Colorado Springs and we think about these complex issues about foster care and homelessness and abusive parents and school and my teacher doesn't believe in God but he's so much smarter than me like how do I talk about that and we we get overwhelmed because I think as Christians we carry that burden to change people on our shoulders and so when we try and engage in local ministry it's so overwhelming and rightfully so because these are complex issues a lot of people are where they are for really good reasons and so I want to just paint a picture really quick imagine You're standing here on one side of a cliff and on the other side of a cliff is someone who doesn't know the Lord and you know the Lord over here. And our job is to bring them in a wheelbarrow or something like that, to bring them the truth of Christ, freedom, the gospel. But if we do that, we have to build a bridge first. And I want to suggest that the bridge that we have to build is trust and love. And this is local ministries. We're building a bridge of love. And if we stretch out one little piece of truth over that bridge and then we try and bring a full wheelbarrow of truth across, it's going to collapse. There's no trust there. And of course it looks different. Sometimes the waterfall is just inches away. But if we, over years and minutes and time, whatever, it's right in the moment, we pack this bridge full tight of strong cobblestones, of acts of service, of love, then we can carry a brick of truth over because the bridge of trust will hold. A closing thought that I want to leave you with is what does it look like to love your people? And I think it's really important to use that possessive your because when we just think of loving people, that can help them for a time. But a lot of these people we're called to love, we need to walk alongside them, like I talked about. So as you're leaving today and even as you walk over to church, if you're going to big church, um, and as you're driving home in your car, Big church, yeah. (laughs) This is little church. That's big church. Think about this question. What does it look like for you to love your people? How can I allow interruptions in my life? Not just stopping and talking to people, but maybe the Lord calls you 
to pray for an hour. And we engage in this thing called local ministries, which is loving people. I'm going to read a scripture and pray for us, and then that's going to be it. Joe's going to come up. If, if this is something that we're serious about, loving people, I encourage you to just pray this prayer with me after I read this scripture and realize that this is inviting interruptions into our life. We are inviting the Holy Spirit to lead us to love people. We're inviting trouble. We're inviting difficult conversations. We're inviting suffering. Paul says to devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So Father, we, we love you so much. And we ask for a fresh revelation of your love for us. We ask that you would reignite your word. Reignite the story that you're telling through Israel and to us and to the whole world of the kingdom come. And Jesus, we pray that you would open a door that we might proclaim the mystery of Christ. The mystery of freedom from sin. The mystery of redemption and reconciliation and all of these things that are not possible without you, Lord. Please open a door for us to proclaim that. And help us by your grace to proclaim it clearly. Help us to answer people with love and respect and kindness. And Jesus, we just cast this burden for the city onto your shoulders to carry as we fulfill the commandment of loving people. We need your help with this, Christ. We truly do. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's thank Bob for being here today. Thank you. good. All right, everybody, you're dismissed. Next week, Global, you'll be in 107. Sunday School will be in here. We'll talk about the real Easter. Have a great week. Peace out. Thank you for listening to the Mill Sunday School podcast. You can find more information at www.themillonline.org.